Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we can come before your word, a living, not just a document, but a living word that you are using to communicate to us in this very moment. I pray, Father, that these words would come alive as they are, and we would see them as they truly are, uh, your very own words speaking to us, Father. We thank you for it, and as we study it, would you open our hearts Would you open our eyes? And in your holy name I pray. Amen. Last summer I had the opportunity to take 30 of our students to an event that we do every year called Lead the Cause. Um, We take this trip very much with the purpose in an effort to invest in our students and train the younger generation how to share the good news of Jesus with their peers. Uh, And every year there is a remarkable response and changed lives as a result of it. And this year we're actually bringing 33 students. It's the most students that we've ever taken on the trip. Um, And we're looking forward to it. Normally, we have gone to Chicago. Uh, however, last year, we decided to switch it up and go to Washington, D.C. Uh, now, to this point, I had never been to D.C., and so I was looking forward to experiencing the nation's capital. Um, and Lead the Cause was phenomenal as always. However, one of my favorite moments was actually our free time in the evening on one particular day where we had the opportunity to go out and just take in the sites and visit the different memorials in uh, D.C. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, one of the ones that had more of an impact on me, one of the more impactful ones for me was the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Um, If you don't know what this memorial is, uh, it is a wall that is inscribed with the names of those who sacrificed their life in the Vietnam War. Uh, they've, they've been enshrined essentially and their memory enshrined forever for the cost that they paid. And it's powerful because each, behind each one of these names, there's a story. Behind each one of these names, there is flesh and blood. Behind each one of these names, there were dreams and aspirations that were cut short because of their service to our country. And while I don't know any of those names personally, it didn't take long for me to feel connected to them in uh, some manner and to think uh, of them as people uh, and remember the great cost that they paid. And in that moment, as I read off out loud as many names as I possibly could, I began to swell with emotion. And I realized that this memorial accomplished what it was built for. This memorial, this wall was put there so that someone like me, who has no ties to this event whatsoever, could feel connected in some way and participate in the story and the events that transpired. As I sat there, I participated in the story of this, uh, of this war, of this event that happened in our country's history. Memorials are important in this way in that they link us to the past. They point us to the past. And as we continue our story in Joshua, we'll see that God saw this no different God saw the value of a memorial. 
So let's go ahead and take a look at um, chapter four of Joshua. We're going to read actually just the first 10 verses, and then I'm going to skip down to to verse 19 and finish out the chapter there. But uh, go ahead and follow along with me as I read Joshua four, verse one says this, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, and he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. And the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. Now we'll skip down to verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord, your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord, your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, your God forever. I actually preached from this passage about a year ago. Uh, and so some of this may sound familiar to you. However, as our passage demonstrates, it's always good to have a little reminder. Um, this passage is what I would call a narrative nightmare. Uh, from a storytelling perspective, uh, this, this is a complete mess, especially in light of chapter 3, which we looked at last week. It's really hard to read chapter 3 and read chapter 4 and understand the order of events because the writer keeps going back and forth between different things, and it feels like it's chronological, but it doesn't make any sense. What the writer is doing here is actually freezing the action in chapter 3 to tell us another story in chapter 4, to show us a different side of the story uh, about these memorial stones in in chapter 4. These two chapters aren't sequential, merely they are simultaneous. Uh, Just like if you were to watch a movie, 
that switches from scene to scene uh, during the same event. It's phasing back and forth uh, during the same moment. You are merely seeing a different aspect, a different side of the same story. This is the intent of our writer in Joshua 3 and 4. He is merely uh, chronicling these events of crossing the Jordan and showing you several different things that are happening all at the same time. And so try not to be too entirely confused about that. And even the verses that we skipped, it was intentional uh, because they were details that uh, we're just not going to look at this morning. They're important. Uh, I'll give you a summary of them. Essentially, it, it talked about the two and a half tribes that crossed over with Israel. We looked at about a month ago, actually, we talked about these two and a half tribes. It shows that they fulfilled their promise to go over uh, into the promised land. It also mentions how Joshua has been exalted in front of the eyes of the people. And those details are important and they affirm previous things that we've already spoken about in Joshua. But it's very clear that the main thrust of chapter four uh, revolves around these 12 stones. And so we're going to spend our time looking specifically at these 12 stones that, that we read about. In fact, there's actually two piles of 12 stones to be, to be set up. One is set up by Joshua at the, the feet of the, the priests where the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, where they're standing. And the others are to be set up in Gilgal, which is a settlement about eight miles west of the Jordan. And it was the first place that the Israelites would have uh, set up camp. So what are these stones and what is their purpose? We actually see in verse 6 that they are called a sign among you. They are to be a sign among you. And then in verse 7, it goes on to say that they are to be a memorial forever. They're a sign, and then they're also a memorial. These are actually two different things, very closely related. Let me try and explain it to you. Um, a sign. One commentator defines a sign as a visible object, action, or event that conveys information to authenticate something else. A sign is basically something that is given to authenticate that something happened. These stones serve as a sign, so when the people look at these stones, they will see that this event did indeed happen. There were people there that witnessed this. This is an historical event. It authenticates the fact that this happened. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't just something that somebody made up. This happened and these stones prove it because there were people there and they set it up. As an example, when um, Noah descended from the ark in Genesis 9 after the great flood, right? Uh, God actually makes a covenant, an agreement with mankind, with Noah saying, I will never destroy the earth by the flood again. That will never happen. And then it says that he gave him a sign. That sign was a rainbow, so this rainbow, when we see rainbows, it's essentially to authenticate the fact that God created this agreement between mankind that he would never indeed flood the earth again. It's a sign um, that, that uh, this amazing event actually took place. These events did happen. And while these stones serve as a function, the function of a sign, which authenticates the past, they also function as a memorial in the future, for Israel to, to look back on, to, to look to the past. 
These stones are a reminder because, let's face it, we need a reminder. We, we forget everything. I've already forgotten what I've had for breakfast this morning. Our minds are hopelessly cluttered. On a daily basis, we are bombarded with information. And since the dawn of the smartphone, we drink data from a fire hose. We are constantly being bombarded, and so we need to slow down and think about the past. <clears throat> In an age where only today seems to matter, we need to stop to remember yesterday. You want to have faith for tomorrow? Look to the past. You want to be prepared for the future? Remember the past. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but think about eighth grade history class. Uh, sitting uh, in, uh, I think his name was Mr. I can't remember his name. That's terrible. Mr. Mortland was his name. And Mr. Mortland was a, uh, was a football coach. And, but he was very short, right? But he was extremely stocky. And so you can, you can imagine this like real intense man. You know, he, he took his coaching practices and applied it into the history class. And, and I was that punk kid that would ask Mr. Mortland, what does this have to do with anything? Why do I need to learn about history? How is this going to apply to my life? And I'll never remember Mr. Mortland getting in my face and saying, if you don't look to the past, you're doomed in the future. You don't stand a chance in the future unless you learn the past. God understood this. And I want you to not miss how important this is, this passage that God is doing this. That God is taking time in the present to care for the future by pointing people to the past. He's taking time in the present. He's pausing the action, quite literally, to care about the future, the future people of Israel, by pointing them to the past. It's a crucial practice to remember the past in a culture that always seems to live in the here and now. Now, I am all about change. I am not suggesting that we don't change. We should change. Change is important. We should adapt. However, it would do us well to remember the important things of the past so that we can make educated decisions on how to change and how to move forward in the future. If you want to be prepared for the future, look to the past. God viewed this event of crossing the Jordan and his display of power as important, as unique, as, out, as an out-of-the-ordinary occurrence. And so he calls them to set up this memorial that they w- would remember. And it's very clear who the target audience is for. We actually find that this, these stones are not set up as much for this current generation, but the one to come for your children, the next generation. This, this, these 12 stones, this memorial is an object lesson built with the intention to provoke questions from their children. God knows future generations will look at this memorial and, and ask questions. He knows that your children will look upon this and ask questions because that's what children do, right? They ask questions. They ask a lot of questions. They don't even realize it. But what kids are doing is they're constantly trying to gain insight from the older generation, whether they realize it or not. 
I've experienced this firsthand with my children. I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and you can imagine the conversations that I have with them as they ask questions. Just recently, my son Jacob, who's the four-year-old, has made it a habit uh, to ask specific questions every time I'm watching sports. The conversation typically goes something like this. Hey, Dad? Yeah, Jake? Which team are you rooting for? I'm, root- I'm rooting for the team in white, bud. Hey, Dad? Yeah, Jake? Which team is winning? Uh, the red team's winning, bud. <laughs> Hey, Dad? Yeah, Jake? I'm going to root for the red team. (laughs) I tell him it's okay as long as he doesn't root for the Steelers. That that is a household rule under my roof. These children are going to see the rocks in the future, and they're going to say, Hey, Dad, what's up with those old pile of rocks? They must be important because when I tried to climb up on them, you wouldn't let me. You pulled me down and said that wasn't allowed. Well, what are these big old pile of rocks doing here? What do those mean to you? See, don't you see the purpose of these rocks is by nature generational to care for the next generation. This is our responsibility as Christians to the next generation. Our responsibility is to tell them and give them reminders of what God has done through history. To tell them about how awesome and how powerful and how mighty God is. This is why we have a children's ministry here at FAC. This is why we have a youth ministry. Not so that they can play fun and have play games and have fun. Not so that they can make friends. Not so that you can have free babysitting. But so that we can tell them about the majestic power of God. There is a recurring theme throughout all of scripture that instructs us to impress these stories about God Almighty onto our children, and we owe it to our kids to tell them how great he is. This is your responsibility. Every single person in this room has some kind of connection with the next generation be it a child or a grandchild or a niece or a nephew, in some way, you have a connection to the next generation. And I don't know how this plays out in your context. I'm not saying you have to serve in the children's ministry. It's certainly an option. I'm not saying you have to serve in the youth ministry. What I'm saying is find a way to invest your time and energy into reaching the next generation. This is your call as a believer. This is what we are called to do. Because I'm afraid that we may be dropping the ball. It would be easy for us to sit here and say that this upcoming generation is going to hell in a handbasket, but let's ensure that we're not the ones holding the handbasket because we've disengaged with their world, because we're too afraid of them, because we don't want to get messy, because we don't want to, we don't want to deal with them. No, our children, our teenagers need adults in their life who point them to Jesus, who remind them of God's great power. This is your call 
to engage with the younger generation. And it's our hope that as we engage with the next generation, we will set a pattern in motion, right? That one day, this child will grow up and they will say, I was so impacted for the good by so-and-so, by this person. This adult poured into my life so much that I want to in turn do that for the next generation. This is a multi-generational thing. You are not only impacting the next generation, but you have the opportunity to invest in generations to come. Not just your children, but your children's children and their children when we set this pattern in motion. This is our call. And I love in scripture when God tells us to impress these things on the next generation, he is very clear. He is always clear about what it is that we're to teach our children. He says it actually in verses 22 through 24. He doesn't leave the meaning of these 12 stones up for uh, interpretation. He, He says, when your child asks what these stones mean, this is what you say. This is your prompting. This is what I want your children to know. Take a look at it. Verse 22. Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord, your God dried up the waters of the Jordan uh, for you until you passed over as the Lord, your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, your God forever. What does God want our children to know about? What do they remind us of? These 12 stones, two things. First, we are reminded about what God has done. We are reminded about what God has done. Dad, what do these stones mean? Well, son, there was a day that God halted this river. You see, you see that river over there? He halted it so that we could cross over into his promised land. And son, you have to know that, that in this instance, God came through in his promise. And son, you have to understand that God always comes through on his promises. And not only did he come through on his promise, he came through uh, with it in a very powerful way. When we were a hopeless son and we were a helpless son, God swooped in and saved the day. We are reminded by what God has done. And second, we are reminded who God is. Verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Who is God? He is mighty. When we see these stones... We are to be reminded of the glorious, majestic, breathtaking supremacy of God. And this reminder of what God has done and who God is should provoke a response. By no means do the children see this and just say, oh, that's nice. I'm going to go play some ball now. No, this provokes a a, a response. And what is that response? That you may fear the Lord your God forever. The response is the fear of God. The God who can open this river is a God to be feared. The psalmist knew this in Psalm 114. 
verses three through seven. Take a look at it. This is written about this particular event. This is what he says. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills like lambs. What the psalmist is saying is like the sea has turned back. The mountains have skipped. What has caused this to happen? Why has this occurred? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Just as the Jordan River itself feared God, we are called to tremble at his presence. This is a visceral recognition of God's might. To fear him means to take him very, very seriously and live accordingly. Yes, you have a personal relationship with God. And yes, he is your father, but he is not your buddy. He is not your, your pal. He is a force to be reckoned with. And the purpose of these 12 stones was to cultivate and raise awareness of this fear of God. For them, this is a way for them to gaze upon that monument and rekindle this sense of awe in their hearts. I would imagine that as the Israelites settled into the promised land, once, once the, the water returned and the battles died down and they were settled, that they would actually settle into a, a routine. Oftentimes routine can serve as an enemy in our relationship with God. In routine, we grow comfortable in routine, we, we grow independent. In routine, we forget about God because we convince ourselves that we don't particularly need him right now. And so sometimes we need to pause from routine so that we can get a jolt. That jolt that, that rekindles that fear of God. We need to reflect on God's power and reawaken that sense of fear and tremble and awe that we once had for God. These stones would remind the Israelites and their children what God has done, who he is, and would prompt them into action. And by retelling the story, these children are participating in the wonderful work of God. While these children didn't cross the Jordan themselves, they are now participating in this event. They are participating in this miracle by engaging with this memorial. And just as the Israelite child would participate in, in God's work, we too, even to this day, can also participate in God's miraculous work. There is a tangible link in this passage uh, to us this very day. And that link can be found in verse 19, where it says that they came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. This is the date. Now, you, you, might, bear, you might have to bear with me for a little bit. I'm going to have to connect uh, a, a few dots. But I guarantee you that we are connected to this passage. And the key is in this date, the 10th day of the first month. This date is an important detail. 
that the writer is using to intentionally point to another event. If you were to turn to Exodus, you would read the story about how the Israelites were delivered from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. And hinging right in the middle of this exodus, of this whole story, is this event called Passover. It revolves around uh, the plagues and the final plague where God said to Moses, hey, I am going to take the firstborn of every living creature in Egypt. This is my tenth and final plague. However, if the Israelites would like to be spared, I am going to offer them um, a way out. This is how you're to be spared. You have to gather a spotless, perfect lamb. And you have to sacrifice it. And you have to paint the blood on the doorposts. And then when the angel of death comes in to take the life of the firstborn, when the wrath is poured out, the angel of death, if they see the blood of the spotless lamb, the angel of death will pass over your house. That's where we get the term Passover. And if you were to look to Exodus 12... We're introduced to the preparations for Passover and they are told to gather this lamb and begin preparations on what day? The 10th day of the first month. This is when you're to begin your preparations for Passover. The day that God delivered on his promises by delivering the Israelites into the promised land is the same day that the Israelites began preparing for God to deliver them out of bondage 40 years prior. God connects their deliverance out of slavery with their deliverance into the promised land. God connects their deliverance from turmoil with his deliverance into rest. God links their deliverance from death into life. And so how does this connect with us? Why does this matter for us? Fast forward several centuries and you'll come to Jesus sitting down for a meal with his closest followers. What was the significance of this meal? It was the Passover meal. It was the meal celebrating Passover. This is what Luke writes about it in his account of Jesus in Luke 22, verse 14 through 20. Take a look. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Just as God has set up a memorial for the Israelites to see his awesome power, Jesus has set up a memorial forever 
a memorial that you and I will participate in this morning, a memorial that points to his death as a ransom for all mankind's sins. See, in the Passover, the Israelites would remember that God required death. God required sacrifice, the sacrifice of an innocent, spotless lamb so that they could experience life. Jesus establishes this memorial to help us remember that he is that spotless lamb, that his life was poured out so that we could all experience life. The pattern of remembering carries over for the church. And every time we come to this table, every time we, we share in communion, we continue to remember the amazing sacrifice of Jesus. Our observance of communion is the prime way into which we remember the amazing things that God has done through Jesus. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I've done for you, how I hung on a cross so that you could have life. Don't forget that you once stood separated from God, the object of his very wrath. And I stood in. I stood in. While the Vietnam Veterans Memorial did have a great impact on me, um, it actually wasn't the one that had the most impact on me. Uh, That honor goes to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. Uh, This memorial, I have a picture of it. It's a 30-foot statue of Dr. King carved into a giant stone, which emerges from two large boulders. On the side of the stone that Dr. King is uh, carved into, there's an inscription that reads, Out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. Out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. This memorial is meant to represent how Dr. King stood in the gap for a group of people that faced great hurting and great bondage. And the reason that I grew so emotional as I sat in the midst of this amazing particular memorial and why it had such an impact on me because of how much it reminded me that Jesus stood in the gap. Jesus stood in the gap between me and my sin. Jesus stood in the gap between me and death. Out of the mountain of despair, out of the greatest mountain of despair of my sin and of death stands a great stone of hope, a cornerstone of hope, Jesus Christ. While Dr. King stood in the gap for a select group of people, Jesus has stood in the gap for all mankind. And that includes you. And this morning, we're going to remember that by taking part in communion. If you have committed your life to Jesus and have accepted him as savior, I invite you to participate in this memorial. And just as the Israelites participated with an event, we are now participating in an event, the, the death of Jesus Christ. However, if you haven't committed your life to following Jesus, I give you a much different invitation. I invite you to make today the day that you decide to follow him. 
Maybe today is the day that you cross over from death to life. Maybe today is the day that your heart has finally been softened and opened. I'm going to go ahead and pray. And as I pray, we're going to invite the worship band up. Um, and the, they'll play a song as the elements are passed out. Um, I want you to take this moment to reflect, to remember what Jesus has done for you. And then once you receive the elements in your hand, um, go ahead and just hold on to them and we will participate as a family. We'll take the elements together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to (coughs) the Lord's table, I pray, Father, that we can gaze upon the cross and see the great price that was paid so that I could have life. I pray, Father, that um, we would look to you and remember what Christ has done. There are people in this room, Lord, myself included, that have come from a great mountain of despair. Their whole life feels like a mountain of despair. So we ask, Father, that you would reveal to them the stone of hope, Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room who have yet to put their faith in this sacrifice that Jesus made, that that moment would happen right now. That your spirit would move and their eyes would be opened. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We praise you for what you've done for us. And in your holy name I pray. Amen.